Chapter Seven of The Burglar and the Blizzard by Alice Dewar Miller. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. McVeigh was left so long at the piano that he finally resorted to a series of discords in order to recall himself to Holland's mind. His existence, if he had only realized the fact, was so completely forgotten that he might have made his escape was a good half-hour to spare before either of the others appreciated that the music had ceased. Not knowing this, however, he did not dare stop his playing for an instant until sheer physical fatigue interfered. It was at this point that the discords began and brought Geoffrey into the hall. The disposal of McVeigh for the night was a question to which Geoffrey had given a great deal of thought. The cedar closet presented itself as a safe prison, but in the face of McVeigh's repeated assertions that the air had barely sufficed to support him during his former occupancy, it looked like murder to insist. Geoffrey finally, when bedtime came, locked him in a dressing room of his own room. The window, the room was on the third floor, gave on empty space and against the only door he placed his own bed, so that escape seemed tolerably difficult. And to all other precautions, Geoffrey added his own wakefulness, although toward morning weariness triumphed over excitement and he fell asleep. He was wakened by an insistent knocking at his door, and he heard his name called by Cecilia. He sprang up and found her standing in the hall, she was wrapped in her sable coat, but shivering from cold or fear. There is someone getting into the house. I heard a window open and steps on the piazza below my room. What can it be? Geoffrey flung himself past her. The instinct of the hunter, joined to the obstinacy of his nature, maddened him at the notion of McVeigh's escape. On the opposite side of the house there was a piazza, and on the roof of this a neighboring window opened. He threw it back and climbed out. The snow had stopped, and the moon was shining, paling a little before the approaching dawn. Geoffrey could see a figure stealing quickly across the snow. There was no question of its identity. His revolver, which he had snatched from under his pillow and brought with him, he at once leveled on the vanishing form. His finger was on the trigger when he felt a hand on his arm. Leaning out of the window behind him, the girl caught his arm. Don't fire, she said. Don't you see it is Billy? There was a pause, the fraction of a second, but momentous, for Geoffrey realized that all his threats to McVeigh had been idle that with that touch on his arm he could not shoot. Nevertheless, he raised his voice and shouted thunderously, McVeigh! The figure turned, hesitated, saw perhaps the gleam of the moon on the steel and began to retrace his steps. Steadily, with the revolver still upon him, he moved back to the house. Under the piazza, he stopped and waved his hand. I'm afraid they got away from us, Holland. I did my best. There was a burglar then, said the girl in the little whisper of recent fright. By heaven, he shall not trouble you, 
returned Holland with more earnestness than seemed to be required. Then he left her and went down to meet McVeigh. You were just about a second ahead of a bullet. He remarked, ushering him into the hall. To be caught and brought back is so ignominious a position that Geoffrey looked to see even McVeigh at a disadvantage, but looked in vain. The aspect worn was a particularly self-satisfied one. I was aware I took a risk, he answered. I took it gladly for my sister's sake. For your sister's sake? Yes, and yours. Be honest, Holland. What could be so great a relief to you as to find I had disappeared? You are too narrow-minded, too honorable. You would say too connive at it. But you would be delighted to know that you need not persecute me. If I shot you, I should be saved the trouble of prosecuting. But at what a cost? I refer to my sister's regard. No, no, the thing, if you had only been quick enough to see it, was for me to escape. It was a risk, of course, but a risk I gladly took for my sister's sake. I would take longer ones for her. Do you mean that? Of course. Then take this revolver and go out and shoot yourself. McVeigh looked very thoughtful. Then he said gravely, No, no, Holland. To take a risk is one thing, to kill myself quite another. I have always had a strong prejudice against suicide. I think it is a cowardly action, and it would be no help to you. She would not believe that I committed suicide. She knows my views on the subject, and could imagine no motive. No, that would not do at all. I am surprised at the suggestion. It is against my principles. Your principles? Geoffrey sneered. Nevertheless, he was not a little altered in opinion. It had been something of a shock to him to find that he could not shoot at the critical instant. It had shaken his face in himself. He began to doubt if he would be capable of sending the man to state prison. When Cecilia bethought his pity, his own limitation faced him. He was not the rentless judge he had supposed himself. Yet, on the other hand, the remembrance of the Vaughan and the other men he was representing held him to his idea of justice. Sit down, he said suddenly, turning to McVeigh, and write me out a list of everything you had stolen in this neighborhood and where it is and how it may be obtained. Yes, I know it is difficult, but you had better try to do it for on the completeness of your list depends your only chance of avoiding the law. If I can return all properly, perhaps. I have a mine in Mexico, a hell on earth, where you can go if you preferred to penal servitude. There won't be much difference, except for the publicity of a trial. I have a man there who, when I give him his orders, would infinitely rather shoot you than take any risk of your getting away. Which will you have? Can you ask Holland which will be easier for my sister? Sit down and write your list then. An interesting occupation. Mining, observed McVeigh as he opened the portfolio. After this for a long time nothing was heard but the soft noise of the pencil and an occasional comment from the writer. A rare piece that, I parted with it, absurdly low, but the dealer was a connoisseur, appealed to my artistic side. 
Things had gone on thus for perhaps an hour, when a step sounded outside and the doorbell rang. Both men jumped to their feet. "'My God, Holland,' said McVeigh, "'if that is the police, keep your wits about you, or we are lost.' It was a revelation to Geoffrey to find how completely, as his alarm showed, he had cast in his interest with McVeigh's. He stepped forward in silence and opened the door. Not the police, but a man in plain clothes was standing there. "'I am glad to see you safe, Mr. Holland,' he said. "'There has uh, been great anxiety felt for your safety. I am a detective, working on the Vaughan and Marham cases. I got word to come and look you up, as you did not get back to the gardener's cottage the night before last.' "'The snow detained me,' said Geoffrey slowly. "'Come in, come in, friend,' said McVeigh briskly. "'You must be cold.' It speaks well for the professional eye that the detective, after studying McVeigh for an instant, asked, I did not catch this gentleman's name. Who is he? There was a barely perceptible pause, then Geoffrey answered coolly, This is the man you are after. Are you crazy, Holland? shouted McVeigh. What? The Vaughan burglar? You caught him without assistance? Envy and admiration struggled on the detective's countenance. I must congratulate you, sir. Geoffrey allowed himself the luxury of a groan. You needn't, he said. I am no subject for congratulation. I can't even prosecute him, confound him, for several reasons. We were at school together, and I can take no steps in the matter. But I can, said the detective. Indeed, it is my duty to. No, said Geoffrey, nor can you. This man cannot be sent to prison. Yes, I know it is compounding a felony. Well, sit down and we will compound it. I could not agree to anything of the kind, said the detective. I don't see exactly what you can do about it. Geoffrey was deliberate and very polite. For reason which I can't explain but which you would appreciate, leave me no choice. I have to save this man from jail. If you intend to work against me, I shall simply let him escape at once. Don't draw your revolver, please. I prefer to be the only person with a weapon in my hand. He has made a list of all the things he had stolen, and I shall see that they are returned to their owners at any cost. Will you undertake to get him safely to a mine I own in Mexico? Once there he can't get away. It is forty-five miles from a railway. If you accomplish this, I will give you ten thousand to make up for the reward you didn't get. Five thousand down, and five thousand at the end of a year. I don't know what to say, said the man. It sounds like a bribe. It is, said Geoffrey coolly. I never received such a proposition, returned the man. That scheme won't do, Holland, put in McVeigh. Can't you see it lays you open to blackmail? From you, said Geoffrey. I had thought of that, but you can't blackmail me at La Santa Ana, and if you get away and come close enough to blackmail me, I will put you in prison without a moment's hesitation. I shall be in a position by that time to take care of the feelings of the other people concerned. You don't understand me, answered McVeigh. 
I meant blackmail from this man. Oh, said Geoffrey severely, I am convinced he's not a blackmailer, and besides, he won't get his second five thousand for a year, and as I was saying to you, after a year, I don't so much mind having the whole thing known. My reputation will stand it, I think, if yours and his will. I am no blackmailer, said this detective. If I accept, I'll be on that square. If you do, let me offer you a piece of advice, observed Geoffrey, and that is not to take your eye off that man for a single instant. He's a slippery customer, and you run a fair chance of not seeing my money at all if you give him the smallest loophole. The detective considered McVeigh carefully from head to foot. Then he said gravely, Is there any way of getting to this place of yours by water? I don't see my way to taking this customer in a Pullman car. If he chooses to slip overboard from a boat, why, no one would be any the worse, unless maybe the sharks. Very true, agreed Geoffrey amiably. Fortunately, you can get a steamer in New York. It soon became apparent that the detective failed to see any good reason for declining so advantageous an offer as Jeffrey's, and they were presently deep in the discussion of their plans. McVeigh, meanwhile, studying the map with unfeigned interest in the situation of his future residence. Cecilia, fortunately, gave them plenty of time for their arrangements, for she had fallen asleep again after the alarm of the early morning, and the men must have been talking for two hours when she appeared at the library door. She cast a look of surprise at the addition of their party, and Geoffrey saw with a sort of paralysis that she was inclined to set him down as the burglar whose footsteps she had heard in the night. To prevent any betrayal of this opinion, Geoffrey advanced a few steps to meet her, although as he did so he realized that he had nothing to answer when she asked, as of course she did ask, Who is that? A sort of desperation, the cowardice that will sometimes attack the brave, took hold of Geoffrey. He looked at her hopelessly, and would perhaps in another instant have told her the truth, had not McVeigh, not the least disconcerned, taken the lead. This, Cecilia, he said exuberantly, laying his hand on the detective's shoulder. This, my old friend Picklebody, Henderson Picklebody. You have heard his name often enough, and he, yours too, A. Henderson in the old Mashita days. The detective, whose name was George P. Cook, was so taken up with his surprise at the apparition of a beautiful woman that he scarcely heard McVeigh. He began to guess something of the motives that led Holland to shield this offender against the law, nor had he ever found it unwise to yield to the whims of young millionaires. Cecilia, who was too gentle or too politic to betray the fact that she heard the interesting name of Picklebody for the first time, remarked in a tone as cheerful as she could make it, I suppose that if Mr. Picklebody could get in, we can get out now. Can and will, rejoined McVeigh beamingly. Hen comes as he has always come to his friends, as a rescuer. 
I seem to require a great deal of rescuing, said the girl, looking up at the monopolist in the art who had so far said nothing. Ah, but you don't understand, my dear, went on McVeigh, ruthlessly cutting into the look which the lovers were exchanging. You don't yet understand how fortunate we are in our friends. Henderson did not, it is true, come to find me. It was the greatest coincidence his meeting me here. It seems that he and Holland are both interested in a mine in Mexico. And what do you think? McVeigh paused and rubbed his hands. Really, we have the kindest friends. They have been arranging between them to offer me a job down there. What do you think of that? Cecilia, who had been trying to imagine any future after they left the shelter of the grey stone house, would have answered if she had been thoroughly candid that she thought Mexico was a terribly long distance away, but she only observed, How very kind of them! I'm sure we shall like Mexico. There, there, do you hear that? We, gentlemen, cried McVeigh, throwing up his hands. I cannot leave my sister alone, deserted. Consider it all off. Oh, I wasn't to go? asked Cecilia, looking up with more enthusiasm. My dear, replied McVeigh, I must own that I was base enough to consider a plan that would separate us. The mine, it seems, is no place for ladies, but we will think no more about it. I see by your manner that your feelings— Dear Billy, said the girl gently, you must not give it up. You know that I can always go to the Lees until until i get a position and nothing is so important as that you should have work that is satisfactory to you of course you must accept did you ever hear anything so noble asked mcveigh yes i suppose i ought to accept so they both tell me i must go mustn't i hen well it looks like it would be better for you if you did replied the detective who had fortunately his legitimate share of american humour there is another point cecilia mcveigh went on if i do accept i shall have to leave at once when did you say hen train to new york this afternoon steamer sails tomorrow oh dear that's very sudden said cecilia at a word from you dear i will give it up remarked mcveigh no, no, of course not. I should never forgive myself. You must go. Perhaps it is all the better that I did not know beforehand. It saved me just that amount. We have no time to lose, remarked McVeigh briskly. If we are going to try for that afternoon train, I suppose we can get a sleigh at the gardener's, Holland. If we can struggle as far as that, well, well, we must hurry off. It was McVeigh who urged on the preparations for departure, hurrying his sister, flitting about the house at such a rate that the detective, who was of a soldier built, found it hard to keep up with. Nor was it only physical agility that McVeigh required for the unfortunate man. Having overheard Geoffrey telling him that he was not to betray the real state of things before Miss McVeigh, under penalty of losing his money, McVeigh took special delight in making him look like a fool, 
calling upon him to remember happenings which existed only in McVeigh's own fertile brain. What hen? he could cry suddenly. Was the name of that pretty black-haired girl you were so sweet on? You know, the daughter of the canal boatman. The detective, looking very much alarmed, would of course reply that he did not know what McVeigh was talking about. There, there, McVeigh would reply soothingly, patting him on the shoulder. I'm not going into the story of the pink blanket. You can always trust to my discretion. But I would like just to remember her name. It was so peculiar, a name I never heard before. The detective, who had been respectively married since he was twenty, found himself unable to remember any female names, and finally, in agony, suggested Mary. Mary, my dear fellow, no, that was your friend, the paper girl. There is nothing very unusual about Mary, is there, Holland? No, the name I was trying to think of was Ethelberta. Now you remember, don't you? No, I don't said the detective crossly, casting an appealing look at Geoffrey. How sad that is, said McVeigh philosophically. You don't even remember her name. And at one time, well, well. Or again, he would exclaim brightly, studying the detective's countenance. Ah, Henderson, I see the mark of Sweetney's bullet has entirely gone. I was afraid it would leave a scar. Tell my sister that yarn. I think it would interest her. Yes, do, Mr. Bicklebody, said the girl politely, and McVeigh, when he had sufficiently tortured his victim, would at length launch out into a story himself. Miserable as the detective was under this sort of treatment, it soon appeared that McVeigh's ease and facility had made an impression on him, and that he looked at his prisoner with a sort of wondering admiration. Now, Holland, are we all ready? Cecilia, have you got your little bag? He began when they were about to depart. Holland, my dear fellow, don't think me interfering if I ask whether you had locked to all the doors and windows. Tramps and thieves are so apt to break into shut-up houses, and it would be such a pity if anything happened to any of your pretty things. Ah, what an expanse of snow. Beautiful, isn't it? You may talk about your tropical scenery, Hen, but we shan't see anything finer than this the world over. What a contrast the South will be, though, eh, old man? And drawing the detective's arm through his, leaning heavily upon him, meanwhile McVeigh moved forward, talking volubly. Cecilia and Geoffrey hesitated a moment, looking up at the house, that had seen such momentous changes in their lives. When we come back, it will be spring, said Geoffrey softly. Oh, said the girl in rather a shaky voice. You like me well enough to ask me to stay again? Well enough, said Geoffrey, to ask you to stay forever. End of chapter 7 and end of The Burglar and the Blizzard by Alice Dewar Miller. Thank you for listening.